0: Welcome to Radio Survivor. We're here for the love of radio and sound. Radio Survivor is on the air talking to historians, academics, artists, and experts about radio and the wider world through the lens of radio because we believe that focusing on radio tells new and important stories about our past century. 101 years of radio around the globe. On today's episode, which originally aired in May of 2020, we're talking about classic films about radio. Celebrity culture, the influence of mass media and fictional stories on the real world, crime and romance as genres, war and resistance, women in the workplace. These are all things we explore on today's episode of Radio Survivor. My name is Eric Klein, and with me are Paul Reismandel and Jennifer Waits.
1: I was super excited to find an entire day of radio-themed programming on TCM, the cable network that plays classic films. And I was able to track down the programmer who put together this day of film, Hemrani Vias. Thank you so much for joining us to talk about images of radio on film.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. When I heard about this podcast and this day you were pitching, I got really excited because I think radio movies aren't one that we really play often on TCM. And so I was really happy to kind of shine a spotlight on that.
1: I feel so sad that I didn't realize that until recently, that this was a common theme. Luckily, you know, what happened is a fellow radio nerd and friend of the podcast, Andrew Bottomley, who's a radio scholar, he shared the entire schedule out with the radio historian community, um, So a lot of us got a heads up about it and, you know, set our devices planned accordingly. And I've managed to make it through, I think, all but one of those films. And I was really kind of amazed. I mean, it wasn't surprising that um, these movies that spanned from 1930 to 1950 really gave a glimpse of the changing role of radio in in society and, and showed a lot of different ways that... Uh, that radio was used and how radio was perceived. So it's interesting to hear that this is a common theme at TCM. I'm curious what prompted this particular day of radio movies. Uh,
2: So for me, the way we program at TCM is that we kind of start, we get a lot of creative freedom in that we start with an idea that we want to see. Um, So it can be sparked by something we've seen in the news or just something we've read. And for me, uh, I was actually listening to uh, WRAS, which is Georgia State University's radio station, and their slogan is always um, left on the dial, right on the music. And so I kept kind of thinking about that over and over in my head, and I was thinking about these old radio slogans, including don't touch that dial, which was what I had um, programmed for that day. So I kind of worked backwards where I had the theme I wanted, and then I started doing some research on movies I wanted to see. And I had seen a handful of these movies um, In particular, I always really liked the next voice you hear.
3: The Smith family lives in a modest house on a suburban street somewhere in the United States. They are good, honest, simple people with their share of the faults and the virtues of all of us. They have a home which is slowly but surely being paid for. Like a lot of us, they have an ancient car which they hope someday to replace. You look for your dog, smart guy, one of those wise guys, eh? Yeah, 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 yeah. They eat crunchy cereals for breakfast, not for health, but for box tops. They are God fearing people, and that is why they listened so hard on the day that God spoke on the radio. Ladies and gentlemen of the universe, the next voice you hear.
2: In particular, I always really liked The Next Voice You Hear. Um, And so I kind of worked through there. And with our programming, a lot of it is what's available in terms of licensing and rights. Um, And so then I kind of worked through it logistically of what it is that we could show and what I thought would be a good mix of either crime radio or comedy radio and kind of like spursing it out through the day. And then when it comes to programming for the daytime in particular, um, you kind of want to save your heavy hitter titles closer leading into Prime um, with the idea of sort of attracting more eyeballs to the screen and they would stay on for Prime programming.
1: So what's a heavy what's a heavy hitter title? Because this is kind of like insider information that, you know, like as a viewer, I'm not thinking, oh, I was just excited about all of them. I didn't realize that one of the movies might have been a heavy hitter.
2: So what's heavy hitter? It's kind of what I think our audience considers a heavy hitter so a more popular title which could be um, what I did was genius at work which was a, a radio comedy and then I did it with the unsuspected which had a list celebrities I would say so it was uh, Claude Rains is in that um, and that is very much our audience someone who they like um, so I kind of led into that and it's really interesting because when we program we program so far in advance it's about three months out So while this day aired in April, I was working on this in January. Oh, wow. Um, And so I always try to think about what headspace I was in at that time. So on top of listening to album 88, The Invisible Man had just come out, that new movie that's based on the original Invisible Man with Claude Rains. And so I kind of also worked that in. And so it sort of takes a life of its own with this whole day.
1: So I met somebody um, who works at TCM, Millie DeCurico. Uh, through College Radio Connections, because she was working at TCM, but also working in college radio in Atlanta. And I remember hearing from her about this idea that that programming on TCM, like deciding what to play and where, and coming up with these themes, that it it reminded her a lot of college radio. and And that really opened my eyes to that idea, which I had never thought about before. So I love that you're also sort of describing it that way, that you know, with my own radio show, sometimes things happening during the day or during the month or in the news have an influence of what, on what I'm playing. And that's really interesting to me that that's the case for you as well.
2: Yeah, and a lot of it also goes into what I noticed that hasn't been played a lot. Um, so I'll kind of go back through the titles and see that this hasn't aired since 2009, and I think it's time for it to get some airtime. And so I try to take into consideration titles that have gotten lost that I think have merit and I think are worthy to be shown again and not at four in the morning, but hopefully at noon or something like that.
1: So you were talking about, um, you know, sort of, you had a few movies in mind. I'm curious, like, what what was the universe? Well, how do, first of all, how do you go about finding a bunch of radio-themed movies? Like, do you have a bunch at at the ready that you can pull from? Is there a way for you to search for that? Are there a lot of radio-themed movies?
2: So there are surprisingly... a a heavy number of radio movies. Um, A lot of them come from radio series that aired back in the 30s um, that transitioned to film. The same issue, like the same process with television. So like how the Goldbergs was a a radio program that became a TV series. Um, So we have a few of those in our database that we can search from, which is called Scarlet, which uh, a little trivia, it's because Ted Turner's favorite movie was Gone with the Wind. And so Mm. when he created it, that was kind of the name of our database for him. And in it, you can kind of search basically almost whatever you want. So you can get as specific as radio and film, um, or you can go broad as just kind of 1930s comedies. And then from there, I kind of um, saw what we had available the last time it aired, who were the stars in it, because that does have somewhat of a say in it in terms of where you place it in the schedule. Um, And I kind of worked around that way. Um, But I was excited because I got to air a couple of pre-code movies, which are always really fun. Um, And it ended up being a William Haynes double feature that I had aired in the morning. And then just as you go throughout the day, you kind of decide what's a good flow. Like, do you want to do three of the same genre? Do you want to break it up? Or um, it's kind of, there's a lot of artistic freedom in that of seeing how the day plays out. What's
4: a pre-code movie?
2: So a pre-code movie was a movie that was made pre-1934 before the Hays Code came out. And so William Hays was, I guess, the, word, the term is like commissioner for um, movie studios. And so he instated a rule that post-Hays Code movies couldn't show sex or violence or anything suggestive. And so a lot of these movies that came out pre-Hays Code were pretty, like, they were pretty saucy. Like, you would see um i don't know what's what's a, a way to
0: describe it well I, I mean i'll jump in and say that you know the to me the iconic pre hayes code film is a may west film and we you know radio survivor once talked about may west um a thousand episodes ago where Mae west was banned from radio for the way that she read jokes on the radio on cbs i believe that were double entendres, sexual double entendres on the radio in the 1920s, if I'm not mistaken. And because her voice was so evocative and so hilarious, I mean, the audience, the live studio audience, was in stitches at her reading of some very vanilla double entendre jokes. And she's banned from radio uh for life, but you know, I think she got back on and uh because of because of her uh her sense of humor and may West you know was a filmmaker, a movie star, and a very um a very sexual woman on on screen in a way that would not come back for generations uh post Hayes code. I think it's also important to note uh since I'm a film nerd that it was the Hayes Code, which is a way to censor films so that they were a little less. Uh, fun to watch a little more um, conservative in their values was a voluntary uh, measure instituted by the film studios. This was not a law that was passed in Congress to censor films. It was sort of a, a joint effort to come up with a way to, um, to make more quote unquote family friendly movies uh, to avoid legislation that would have maybe more strictly censored films. And, but the result is that, is that, um, in the decades after the Hays Code, uh, movies you could see that there was a big. There's a big difference in the kind of uh, stories that you could see, especially as far as marriages and outside of marriage relationships. Um, a whole world of cinema was sort of closed off in the post Hays Code world. It would take generations to kind of get back on track.
4: And Hamrod. Yeah, totally. What was this movie that was pre Hays that that you were able to feature?
2: Oh, I did Remote Control and I did Are You Listening, uh, which both star William Haynes.
1: I'm glad that you mentioned Next Voice You Hear, and we'd love to hear a little bit more about that movie and why it's pre-code or, you know, what were the pre-code elements. Uh, But I also want to talk about some of the supernatural elements.
2: Ooh, yeah. So with uh, The Next Voice You Hear, that one was from 1950, so it was during the Hayes Code, so it was very wholesome and very all-American, which I really love about it, because even, like, the cast of characters in the film, their names are Joe Smith, Mary Smith, and their son is Johnny Smith, and they're just this, like, red-blooded American family who are God-fearing people, and then all of a sudden, they're hearing from God himself, um, which I just thought was so funny, especially for... Um, just like that idyllic picture of 1950s America, which, of course, I have no experience with, I have no concept of, um, which is honestly a big part of this radio day for me, is that I am was sort of kept trying to capture a nostalgia that I have no direct connection to. Um, I have listened to radio, I listen to talk radio and college radio, but it's still very different than from the movies that I've chosen to show. And I just think with particularly the next voice you hear, just kind of this calming presence of God talking to you on the radio was really interesting to me.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, and it definitely captures this conservative era that you're talking about and the impact of, I don't know, I, I felt like a sense of McCarthyism and and people really keeping an eye on their neighbors and, you know, wondering what people are up to. Um, but it also to me tapped into this kind of spooky element to radio that I've noticed in a lot of movies where there's something otherworldly about the radio to people. And, you know, it comes up in horror movies where you might have a voice from beyond coming through the radio. I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a movie in the TV show Frequency where there's communication across time through a shortwave radio. And I think, you know, there is this kind of mystical element to radio that was captured so well and next voice you hear.
2: Definitely. And I think it's funny that the wife is played by the future Mrs. Reagan, um, which is something that I've always has kind of tickled me that she just truly is this through and through uh, American woman in every way.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, definitely. And so we, we, we jumped ahead to the period of time with the code. Um, maybe talk a little bit about some of the films that were pre-code that you showed And what what made them feel a little bit saucier?
2: So one of the films I showed pre-code is Remote Control. And that is about this man who um, he thinks that there being coded messages being delivered over the radio um, by one of his co-workers. And that he's trying to get some numbers out to his bank robber friends, which I think is really funny.
1: Yeah, that kind of reminded me of... um, of number stations and, and spy, you know, the use of uh, shortwave radio by spies. But this was crimin- criminal, well, masterminds, maybe, um, who were kind of doing the same thing, sending out codes through the radio.
2: <laughs> yes, it's made me, um, it made me think of the Americans. Exactly. Uh, which they do very often.
4: Well, you know, folks who've been in college at community radio... May have encountered listeners who have that exact belief. I mean, it. it I, I have on multiple occasions uh, talked to on the phone or met in person um, a listener who was absolutely convinced that our station was sending them coded messages. And these are folks who are probably mentally ill, right, unfortunately, or having some sort of uh, unstable problems. But it's hap- I, I've talked to many other radio programmers who, who've had that real-life experience because I think it's because of the fact that in, in this time in, in particular, uh, community radio and college radio are more personal, it sounds more like you're talking to the listener, right? It's not just DJ patter. There's a sharing. There's a there's a connection there that's different than the you know. Here's what's coming up. Here's you know weather on the eights. Where where it's it's much more uh, much less personal. Um, and so and so, I wonder. You know, I, I've not seen this film, but what is the uh, what is the pro what's the programming like on the radio that, that that causes someone to think it's coded? Like what 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 is what is actually on the radio in, in the film?
2: Well, it is a code.
4: <laughs> oh, okay. Spoiler.
2: Right, yeah. Right. So it is a code, but I won't go into more for that. In case but how, but how is, it, is yeah. it
4: encoded? Like what is it – like it's it, – you know, it, it, is, it, is it just someone – like number stations where it's like 54, 26, 32, or is it, it – or is it in regular programming? Do you know what I mean? Is it an actual cipher in that way?
2: Um, I think most of it is in the programming and so yeah. you're just kind of okay. overhearing his radio announcer saying these things and he's – um, being very, he's got a lot of questions about it. And, of course, sort of the root in all these babies is that it's always over a girl. They're only investigating because they've been slighted by someone over a girl. And so he only really cares because she picked him, she picked the bad guy over him, or he did, and so he's trying to win her back. Um, but with Remote Control, but mainly with um, Are You Listening, which is another pre-code film, um, the other William Haynes double feature, that one is just an insane movie to me plot-wise because it's like a, a 65, 70-minute runtime and so much happens, which is the case for most of these pre-code movies where they just have to fit as much as they can into this short runtime. Um, and I guess some of the pre-code saucier things you see in this is that um, he's a little, I guess, physically aggressive with his wife when they're fighting and she is basically drunk all the time and there's just a lot of showing of excess in sort of every sense of the word in these movies. Um, But that one's really fun because he is basically, William Haynes plays a radio announcer who is in love with a radio actress. Um, But unfortunately he can't divorce his wife because it's during the depression and they are essentially too broke to live on Mm -hmm. their own. And so he kind of has to find a way to get rid of her. Um, And there's a whole lot of, nonsense that happens throughout, a lot of quarreling. And there's, of course, a murder. Um, But what I think is always really funny is the way they wrap it up so quickly at the end is when it's kind of like, all these bad things happened, yes, but at least we're together. Exactly. <laughs> Why did it's they all wrap tied up... up with a bow.
4: <laughs> Why do they have to wrap up quickly? I, I, I don't, I, uh, this is not a phenomenon I, I know about that they needed to wrap up the movie in 65 or 70 minutes. Was it just economic?
2: I think so for the most part because this was early 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, film was expensive, and so I think they were just trying to get as much in as they could on a short amount of film.
4: Hmm. That, that's fascinating. 65 or 70 minutes... I mean by contemporary standards that's quite short it's just a little over an hour right
0: i i wonder if it's because uh at that time people would go see the movies and they would watch they'd watch more than one film right, right? The, staying at the theater in the for the evening time would mean that they'd want to cram in you know i I'm, I'm, I'm guessing about three showings so you'd you'd want to keep it short
1: another thing i noticed watching these films and i mean it's a treat to see these early movies too um I feel like women had very strong, prominent roles in a lot of the early films. Um, there were portrayals of women as script writers and, um, you know, holding down these major jobs at radio stations and some of the radio-themed movies that took place in a radio studio. And then, you know, by 1950, um, the woman was in the home and and very much um, sort of, in charge of the home and, and not shown as really doing anything outside of the home. And I just thought it was fascinating, like sitting through a day of these films, you could really see those changing um, popular culture portrayals of women.
2: Yeah. And I think a lot of that is because of the Hate Code, because they didn't want to show women um, basically being independent and realizing they may not need a husband or they not, they may not need to have a family and they can have a fulfilling career. Whereas later postcode, you see these women being a lot more, domesticated and a lot more um like docile and everything where they are um the partner to their husband who was in radio or who was in television whatever their career is. And I would for me I didn't really see a change in that um particularly for radio movies until um, like the New American Hollywood system, so in the 80s and 90s, since the Hayes Code ended in about 69, which is when you start getting all these more grungier, grittier movies uh when they were if they were making movies about radio or women in production uh they were always these much more like these sexier independent women
1: mm. it's funny when i think about these more contemporary movies about radio a lot of the movies that come to mind are about the about male dj's in the studio and that seems to be the focus which is quite different from the selections that you programmed where the types of radio shows might be different. There were there was radio drama where you saw people making sound effects in the studio. Yeah. Let's
0: let's stick with that topic. Let's. I would love to hear about another specific movie where a woman, uh, you know, had a job at a radio station.
2: Um. So if we're talking like earlier ones, like I think of uh, Professional Sweetheart with Ginger Rogers, um, and she plays a woman who is the star of I think it's called like the Ipsy Whipsy variety hour or something very silly uh-huh. um and she basically just wants to continue living her life as this like fully independent glamorous woman but her agent is telling her that she needs to settle down that she needs to find someone that she can uh, basically she can continue living the life she has but she kind of has like a poster marriage just for her fans mm. and so the movie kind of follows the ups and downs of them setting her up with what they call a professional sweetheart who is basically just with her for, for appearances. Um, and the movie goes through like her trying to find a man and her agent trying to find a man. And then how does the husband sort of deal with her um, popularity and fame as a radio star? But it's, it's worth checking out. It's one we play um, semi-regularly.
1: Another one I thought, well, another film that I just really want to talk about from that day, because it's quite different from the rest, is Underground which is about basically pirate radio during wartime. And there was a, you know, a a strong female character in that film as well. So they're portraying a shortwave, shortwave radio pirates who were broadcasting about the resistance and, and, you know, I, I haven't seen all that many mainstream films about pirate radio in that sort of way. Um, Can you maybe talk about what's different about this film?
0: And I want to just let listeners know that that's a a film from 1941, and Jennifer's talking about the resistance to to Nazi Germany.
3: Yes. Here he is, Eric Severide, the famous radio commentator who has just returned from the bomb-torn capitals of Europe. Glad to see you back in one piece. Boy, you sure had a close shave over there. Mr. Severide is one of the foremost news analysts of the European scene. Won't you tell the American public what you consider the most significant development in Europe today? Hello, America. This is Eric Severide, speaking for the first time now without any restrictions, without any censorship. And for the first time, I can tell you what they don't allow correspondents to shout across the Atlantic. At this moment, an underground revolution is going on in Germany, and I predict that in the end nothing can stop it. As dramatic, as momentous, as the inspired resistance of the Allied forces is this story of a small but growing band of men and women who are leading this fight for freedom. These are the people whose individual heroism may never be recorded, But their true story is the most censored news in the German Reich today. An innocent appearing truck lumbers along a quiet country lane. To all outward appearances, just a tow car making a routine pickup. But hidden within is a powerful shortwave transmitter flashing to Germans throughout the land. The true story of the oppression and brutality that strangles their country today. Tonight we come to you again in spite of the Gestapo with the news of the real conditions inside of Germany. Recently, all of Germany was shocked to hear that Rudolf Hess, the
2: third ranking... So I think when I was looking at movies for that day, I really thought that one was really interesting because it is so different from all the other radio movies, where in all the other titles I selected, they kind of use radio as this really fun medium where a lot of hijinks and see when a lot of things can go wrong, whereas this one is showing it, like, for the apparatus and what it can do as utility and how it can really save people's lives and, like, Basically, cause political uprising, which for me, I just thought that would be really fun to kind of almost put in like a wrench in the day where they're kind of being, they're seeing all these really great, um, lighthearted movies. And then it's going to kind of have an intermission with a very semi serious one about something, about a very serious topic. And then I kind of wean that back out into more lighter fare. But when I was doing research on that movie for it, I thought it would fit well because that led into a Humphrey Bogart title, uh, "One Fatal Hour," um, and Humphrey Bogart worked a lot with that director, Vincent Sherman, and so I thought that would be kind of a nice tie-in. Mm-hmm.
1: So it's interesting um, in Underground, the the characters are actually driving around in in this truck, broadcasting their shortwave radio station. So they're kind of on the run, um, doing these these um, broadcasts of resistance. Um, They call it the voice of freedom. So it it was a very interesting portrayal and and makes me want to know, actually makes me want to know more about underground radio during World War II, which would be interesting historically to find out more about that.
0: Yeah, definitely. It's a very interesting topic. Also, whatever you learn, please share it with me. (laughs) Yeah. Not to mention the concept of uh, how I want to ask somebody who knows um, if, if you can drive a shortwave radio station around on a truck um, as I understand it, you need a very tall antenna to get the work done. You just
4: need a very big antenna. Yes, it's, ah. it's, it's difficult, <laughs> but I don't know that it's impossible to tell you the truth. Um, yeah, it, they had it, a
1: tall it, antenna on the on the truck.
4: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Be, I mean, I, I suspect you can because the the, the frequencies are. Uh, are shorter than what's an AM radio which requires truly enormous uh, broadcasting. But yeah, I think it's actually plausible. In fact, um, I'm certain we have listeners who know more than we, so be sure to drop us a line podcast at radiosurvivor.com to to help correct us and we'll put you on the record on a on a, on a future show to help uh, fill in the gaps here in our in our particular knowledge as we talk about radio movies, movies that feature radio and our guest is Hamrani VS who is a program programmer at Turner Classic Movies where they recently featured a full day of radio themed movies and and so we're kind of getting into into the portrayal of radio in films in particularly in in classic films and and we've talked touched on a little bit about sort of the differences in in the films pre uh, what is known as the Hayes Code, uh, which went into effect in 1934, which kind of uh, made made films cleaner, but maybe a little less interesting and a little less uh, uh, sort of saucy, is I think the word that we've we've kind of uh, tossed around here. And, yeah. and you know, and Ronnie, I wanted to ask you if if there's a portrayal of of radio. Changes as television comes to the fore, because certainly in in, in the period we're sort of talking here, the 1930s to to like about 1950, you know, radio is the predominant mass medium, uh, especially in in terms of a real time, a broadcast medium, and television is still yet a a number of ways before it's uh, entering sort of every – uh, living room in, in in the country. And so does radio retain its prominence and in, in does it sort of lose it according – loses its prominence in the films to, to television? Uh, and, and does that take – does it take a long time?
2: So unfortunately, I think it does kind of – it gets put in the – put on the back burner once TV becomes more prominent and once they're churning out a lot more films uh, because with the Hays Code and with these major studios coming into play, they are just – burning movies through and through, um, 10s and 20s, 30 I don't know, so many a year. And I think because of that, radio becomes a lost medium for a lot of people, and it's no longer the new and shiny thing. So um, in film, especially in the 50s, I would say that a lot more um, technology-driven movies come into play, but it's never about radio. Um, so I'm thinking more along the lines of, like, Desk Set with Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy. Um, Or even moving on forward movies like like Network, which wasn't until the 70s, but it soon becomes more about advertising about the medium of television and radio gets kind of
4: lost in the way. And is it because people consider radio less powerful? I mean, you know, because Network is certainly about the power of television.
2: Right, I think so. I think it's because it's almost as if radio served its purpose for World War I and World War II. And now it's kind of, now that we have television, and you can see someone reporting the news to you. There's more of a connection where you can see a face. And I think that sort of became the comfort for Americans where they, if they were seeing all of their favorite actors and actresses on screen, um, I think they would feel more comfortable getting their news that way as well.
4: And especially, I guess, for a visual medium like film.
1: right. And then, kind of along with that, um, if you see TV portrayed in a certain way on film, how does radio then get portrayed after that point? When radio does appear on the screen, what what are we seeing, and how is that different from what we saw in the 30s and 40s?
2: I think we're seeing as more of a recreational thing, and it's something you have in the home where you use it to listen to music and you use it uh, to gather the family around versus getting your daily information from it because now you have TV for that.
1: You know, one thing I've noticed like in the eighties through to today, radio will appear on TV and in the films as like the clock radio (laughs) next to the bed or driving in the car and hearing the radio. So it's almost like a soundtrack or, or utilitarian. Yeah. Like it's, it's a sign of somebody waking up in the morning to the morning radio host or Driving on the freeway and hearing a particular DJ or song, and that kind of situating the character in a place and a time.
2: Right. And that is sort of how I kind of got my interest in radio, in that because I basically grew up on cable, I grew up watching cable television. And so all the movies I saw, whenever they would show a radio, it was always in this very kind of warm way where it was they were sharing it with an older family member and it. Was rooted in nostalgia, which is something I just had such an interest in, in like trying to capture this nostalgia that I had never experienced, and so then I kind of worked backwards, where I thought about well, movies that came out when radio was popular, and how that looks compared to movies that were made in the 80s or 90s that were uh, that took place in the 30s and 40s. I think were really interesting, and how they mm. kind of showed what radio would look like, um, and that was. As a child, like that was my only knowledge of the 1930s and 40s was from movies, from the, how 80s and 90s movies portrayed it.
1: That, you know, I had a similar experience. One of my very first favorite TV shows was Ellery Queen, which took place, uh, it was a 1940s, I guess, radio show with a radio detective. And the TV show basically showed, you know, this old time radio station set That's kind of interesting considering my fascination for radio today.
2: Yeah. Or when I think about how I love watching that thing you do and radio is a large part of that movie and whenever they portray it, it's always very sensationalist where you have these like heartthrobs that are on the radio and everyone knows their name. And it's sort of, um, you don't know actors or actresses, but it seems like, you know, radio disc jockeys. And those are the posters you have on your wall.
1: So another, another thing that, you know, as somebody who participates in radio I'm always really interested in seeing how radio stations are portrayed in movies and on TV. And I'm wondering like, if you have examples of, of movies that you like that you think do a good job of showing the day-to-day operations of a radio station. Because um, in a lot of these movies, it's kind of fleeting glances of radio. But, but when has a radio station taken a starring role in, in a way that you think was done really well?
2: Um, for me, the ones that I'd always gravitated towards were um, Good Night and Good Luck, um, which talks about Edward Morrow, which was the George Clooney movie from a few years back. Um, and they cover basically how CBS was kind of having a say in his reporting and what he was saying about like McCarthyism and the Red Scare. But the majority of the film takes place in the CBS News studio hmm. while he's doing his radio recordings. Uh, I also always loved talk radio, which I Always thought was sort of the the radio equivalent of Network, where it's kind of about this loud, bombastic radio talk show host and kind of what happens when you go too far with it. Um, And then the other one that comes to mind, um, oddly enough, is Gross Point Blank, um, where Minnie Driver's character works as a disc jockey, um, and they show her in her radio booth and kind of the way they portray it in there is what I always thought radio looked like, um, and so that was kind of my entryway into the world of radio, and I kind of had to work backwards. What does
4: it look like? What's that, what's that vision of a radio studio in gross point blank? I can't conjure it up in my mind at the moment.
2: So she's basically, she's sitting behind this giant window uh, where like on can look in, and she's got her headset on, and she's got her mic set up, and then she just has basically a soundboard and a record player That she's like manually adjusting, and then she'll hit a button, and it goes to like autoplay. And then you have the phone in the corner where uh, long-time listeners, first-time callers, will call in, and she'll talk to them about their problems.
4: And that's not so inaccurate for the time period because that's a that's a '90s film. If I'm if I remember correctly, yeah,
2: '97.
4: Yeah, well, it's almost anachronistic in 1997. It's interesting to me because I think that that's probably the romantic. Depiction of radio and a radio studio and a live DJ, and, and many radio stations at the time, and they still, some still do, had actually did have windows out onto the street uh, where you could walk by and wave. Uh, there, there were cities like Chicago, St. Louis had had such setups. Um, but it was rapidly disappearing right around that time, right? It being replaced by uh, voice tracking and automation and things like that, and and probably in '97 uh, only college and community radio DJs were playing much vinyl uh, anymore. But but it 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 does seem to me right that there's a certain um, nostalgia, but it's probably you know at that moment it's Gen X nostalgia, right? It's even the nostalgia of somebody who's about twenty twenty seven to thirty years old. Uh, for the for the radio of their teen years perhaps or uh, the way they imagined it.
2: Yeah, and I kind of always hoped that's what radio would be forever. And so mm-hmm. then when I got to college and I was working down the hall from WRAS, they were still, they kind of had that set up. And so I kind of felt like, oh, okay, this is what all radio is. And then I quickly learned that this, that's just the nature of college radio. Um, so it's more smaller stations doing that kind of
4: um, old school way. Well, well, following on that on on that theme, if I can, uh, you 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 mentioned how you were programming your day, and that you, that Turner Classic movies, at Turner Classic movies, right? This the day of of movies because you're you're a programmer there, movies about radio, and that. In the middle, you wanted to have that, uh, the the war movie, right? The movie that's about clandestine, uh, shortwave broadcasts being used in the resistance to Nazi Germany during World War II, kind of sandwiched between lighter fare, things that were more farcical. I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, that to me sounds like somebody said, seg- you know, creating a DJ set, right? And we, we, up at the top, Jennifer mentioned that there's sort of the, um, you know the the relationship between programming movies there at uh, Turner Classic Movies and 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 college radio, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that philosophy of how do you sequence movies? Because I, I, you're making the assumption that at least some folks might stay for the duration, might right, <laughs> might be actually kind of watching and and staying tuned, whereas obviously, uh, you know, it's it's hard to to necessarily dedicate a whole day to watching movies at, at times. And I suppose some, you also assume some people are dropping in or uh, making an appointment to watch a particular movie. I, I'm curious, how. what's your philosophy? How do you go about doing that?
2: So it's sort of a tricky puzzle that we have to work with uh, because I always tend to start with either a film I want to show or an actor or director I want to highlight. And so I'll check to see what we have in our library that they're in. Um, And so I always kind of plan out my ideal dream day, and then we time everything out. And the way we time for TCM is that everything is to the 15-minute mark, Mm. So because not all movies are two hours. So if a movie is two hours and three minutes, we push it to two hours and 15 minutes. If an hour is an hour and 34 minutes, we put it at an hour 45. And so we kind of have to see how much wiggle room we have with each title, because we have no commercials um, on our network and so we have to take into account what we want to play as our interstitials um, since we also have no sponsors everything is kind of in-house so once I time everything out I kind of see well what we have rights to and that's kind of where you get your heartbroken. Um, <laughs> is where you you have your list of titles and you're like this is going to be the best day it's going to flow so well into this into that and then you see oh we don't have the rights to these two films which would be quote-unquote, the heavy hitter titles. Or you realize that it's airing in primetime. And primetime is anything from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. And that tends to get precedence of what we're willing to kind of um, spend money on or what we really want to focus for our talent to kind of um, discuss.
4: And by talent, you mean folks who who do the introductions on air? Correct.
1: Oh, and Hemrani, I'm curious about primetime is that What time zone is that in? Because I think about that when I'm watching TCM on the West Coast, that other people in other parts of the country are seeing these shows
2: at a different time. So prime time is 8 p.m. East Coast. Okay, go ahead. So yeah, it is. I always do feel a little sad for those on the West Coast that are watching a movie at 5 p.m. that is supposed Mm -hmm. to be kind of leading into our evening programming. But we kind of, we look at what's already airing in the month, and then we kind of see how we can create some variety with it and divvy it up. And so part of my role as the programming coordinator is I assign days to the other programmers and every now and then I will assign them a theme or a birthday. Um, And there's a few um, actors that we always like, they just are legacy actors basically. And they will always get their birthday tribute. They will always get some kind of anniversary tribute. Um, Think like Catherine Hepburn or Cary Grant. And then once we all kind of plan out our daytimes, I sort of lay it all out and see where it would flow in the month. So if primetime is going to have a night of Asian American actors, maybe we'll put the daytime of like another Asian American actress we're showing to kind of lead in, or if we're doing a day of radio movies um, and maybe that night we're doing like the history of jazz, maybe we kind of like line that sort of up. Um, and so there's, it's heavily curated, which I always think it's, Funny when I meet strangers who watch TCM because they think the daytime they're just kind of uh, programmed really loosely and it's just mm-hmm. kind of we like pick titles out of the hat and we just put them on. Um, but there is a lot of thought that goes into each day, um, and we we know that not everyone is going to watch for twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. That would be that would be incredible, but also slightly dangerous maybe. Well,
1: and well, and I've heard that um, just because I know you know one of your colleagues, Millie, I know that. Sometimes the themes are themes that maybe as a viewer we might not even pick up on. So I think she filmed a day of scenes um, that had, like, smoking scenes in them. Movies with smoking scenes.
2: Yeah, it's um, it's kind of like a... It's almost like a, an inside joke that the programmers have where we can get so specific with our days that we aren't 100% sure the audience will get it. But we hope if they watch a couple, they may pick up on some things. Um, so we've done one day where it was just sexy eyewear. So it was just, (laughs) it was just like movies where eyeglasses or sunglasses are like heavily featured. So we showed Lolita, we showed North by Northwest.
1: And do you reveal, do you reveal the themes to people or do you sometimes just never tell anyone and just wait to see, like, are there, are there avid watchers who try to figure it out? I'm curious about that.
2: Yes, we have, um, a very loud Twitter fan base which is wonderful and they have their own handle TCM party uh, where they talk about what's airing for the day and you can find it for the, um, not all of the daytime themes are highlighted on our website but those that are, they can kind of, they can see what's playing ahead of time mm-hmm. um, but every now and then we'll kind of I'll try and hint at what it is and see if anyone can guess What's
1: well, yeah. the most like bizarre theme you've had?
0: Ooh Oh or obscure. I, thought, I thought sexy eyewear is probably up there. I love um, sexy eyewear. Himrani, Vies, we're talking to you because you're the program coordinator at Turner Classic Movies. And Jennifer reached out to you because we were very excited that you programmed an entire day in April of 2020 around uh, movies from from the 1930s all the way up to the 1950s that or the early 1950s at least all these films were related to uh, radio radio broadcasting radio stations a lot of um radio either in the background as the setting of the film or at least uh, part of the macguffin that drives the plot is radio and i think i would love to go back to these films that you selected um i have a list looking at the list it's it's really fun i can't wait to watch all of them and like Take this uh, work that you did and, and turn it into my own like home viewing experience. I didn't I didn't get the chance to see it on cable, but let's let's talk about let's talk about another one of these uh, movies in specific that we didn't get to yet. Uh, which one? Which one is is uh, next on the list?
2: Let's see. I would really like to talk about um,
0: Mr. Dodd takes the air. Great, Mr. Dodd takes the air, 1937.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, the sensational new radio star, the king of the airwaves. Public crooner number one, Claude Dodd. Mr. Dodd, take the air. Mr. Dodd, take the air. Mr. Dodd, take the air. I think you're the most interesting man I ever met. Am I?
4: Well, I I kind of feel interesting tonight.
3: Potty got the dough for a penthouse. You miser. No more expense, please. Don't let that bully intimidate you. Didn't we agree that you should live with dignity like an artist? Yeah, but couldn't I live like a little cheaper artist? My dear, there's no such thing as cheap art.
2: Oh, wow. I feel some Mr. Dodd takes the air,
0: 1937.
2: I just think it's so wholesome and so sweet, um, and I think that, struck a chord with me because I thought that this is, what, this is what radio could do for people. It could make you a superstar. Um, and I'd always think of the phrase, uh, which my dad would always say to me, he goes, you have a face for radio, which I thought was a compliment for the longest time. Um, <laughs> yeah. until, until I learned what that meant. Um, but I just think it's this really sweet, kind of wholesome American story where it's about the small town guy who just wants to make it big in New York. Um, and he does it with his voice. And I think there's something really sweet about that.
1: It, it has such an interesting portrayal of radio too, because he's also this very talented engineer who knows a lot about the inner workings of radio technology. So he's like, he becomes a superstar with his voice, but like the real ticket is also his, his tech skills.
2: Mm. Yeah. It's kind of more about really technically what he knows. And then along the way he meets, you know, like a whole, flurry of characters. He gets involved with the gold digger and then he falls in love with an opera singer. Um, He ends up getting bronchitis at one point. And so then he ends up like singing um, differently on air. And then people think he's a phony. And there's just like so much, um, so many like hijinks that go
0: on through this. That's amazing. And again, it's 86 minutes. So it's a madcap plot,
2: which is something else I love about these movies is that um, I guess everyone these days has like a really short attention span, I would say, for movies where everyone's kind of looking for a tight 90. And so I'm hoping that if they just watch more of these older movies, you're going to get less than 90. You're going to get 60. You're going to get one of these movies is 64 minutes, which I think, um, people can have enough time to sit down and watch and hopefully enjoy something they haven't seen before and realize that just because a movie is old, um, doesn't mean it's bad or boring.
1: Yeah, these were all very fast-moving, action-packed movies for sure.
4: It's like you're curating a film festival every day, Emory. <laughs> it sounds like the best job ever. Uh, so and and <laughs> it doesn't. So uh, maybe I'm going to give you my perception. My perception is that the rest of television doesn't quite work this way. I don't know if you can <laughs> if you can disabuse yeah, me of that you, perception non, or not. Non-commercial.
2: Yeah, it, I very much lucked out in that I kind of worked for my dream network, and I am basically getting paid to watch television, which is just the ultimate goal. Uh, my parents always said, do what you love, and so I figured that out. Um, but compared to other networks, yeah, we are very much in a league of our own in that we are not dealing with Nielsen ratings. We are not dealing with oh, – really. Uh, Advertisements? No, we have. I knew no there was no. Sort of,
4: I knew there was no uh, advertisements, but but uh, you know, like, but HBO doesn't have advertisements, but they do care about ratings.
2: Yeah. right. Yeah, we have no sort of ratings tracker other than um, social media, really, and uh, cable subscriptions. That's kind of where we make mm. our make our money.
0: Wow, and that, I mean that's what essentially makes Turner Classic Movies sort of an oasis for a lot of people. The the buzz that I pick up on on social media, despite my lack of cable at home, is that it's you know it functions a lot like I think about non commercial radio on the radio dial. That there's this spot where it's more pure, and it's there, you know, and and that kind of purity and innocence, and also you know not just innocence because it's also a celebration of of an art form with film. It's just a nice thing that, it, that it's there.
2: Yeah, and that's what we kind of strive for. I think we want to be a comfort but also educational to our audiences. And if you ask anyone that works at our network, which is a relatively small TV network compared to most channels, um, we're all fans first, which is great. And so it makes conversations really fun. It makes thinking long-term uh, programming themes really exciting because yeah. all of us kind of have our own little wheelhouses of what movies we like and of what movies we uh know really well and we kind of all bring that to the table.
0: Hey, him Ronnie, Fias, you're the programming coordinator at Turner Classic Movies. You put together this Day of Radio Films. I want to I'm a, i want to ask you an open question about the Day of Radio Films that you put together. Um was there any kind of theme that they all sort of had regarding the audience of the radio? Like what kind of power or or what was the relationship between the voices on the radio and the people listening—that um, you could draw uh, across uh, at least some of these films that you put together—and you put together one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. It's about you know almost a dozen films.
2: I guess if there's like a, a through line other than obviously radio connecting them, I think it's that all of these movies, with the exception of kind of my my World War II throne of underground, is that they're all just so. Uh, i guess wholesome and they huh. all seem so um they all seem light um, and, it and it doesn't seem like a hard viewing day and i think particularly in the times we're in right now i think that's what people kind of wanted and i also did not know this was going to happen because i planned this day in january yeah right, um, right. so it's interesting how sometimes uh, we become a little prophetic with some of our themes right. the and it so far
0: part. um yes I, 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 I have to ask my I have to ask my question again because it i what i was asking is was there a theme of throughout the films of um a way that the audience of radio the people listening to radio at home uh were were portrayed in these movies
2: they seem to be really portrayed as like radio was their only way of information and only way Mm. of entertainment so radio was everything for them um Basically, if they if they heard God, which they did in one of these movies, they would do whatever they said. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's not so much they were portrayed as these like gullible, naive people, but it was that they just put a lot of trust in radio, which I found really interesting.
1: Yeah. And Hamrani, I mean, it really struck me in all of these films, there was the implication that everybody was listening to the radio and everybody was listening to these stations. So like the last film you talked about, uh, Mr. Dodd Takes the Air, Um, he became a superstar because people heard his voice on the radio. So seemingly everybody in the country had heard him on the radio, which was probably not even possible. But like it, that's the way it seems is that everyone is listening to the same thing. And that's why, um, that's why some of these stations were important. That's why everybody knew that well, God that was, was actually speaking sort to of them.
4: True though. I mean, actually at the time, uh, you know, radio was national. Um, there were, there were, Nineteen in that time, there were were there two, three networks. I mean, there was the uh, NBC Blue and Red, uh, CBS. I mean, in many ways, you know, you were probably capturing half. That's true. Or yeah, more I can't remember
1: a, from well, the film if that was portrayed as a network show or not. Right? That's yeah, the only I guess so. Hedge yeah. on that, um, <laughs> but but it's sort clarify. of it is sort
4: of true, right? That that folks, I mean, at that time, uh, one radio show could be, especially in primetime, could be reaching well more than than, a th- than two-thirds well, of the population. And,
1: and as Hemrani knows, the, the film where we had the voice of God, it was literally being broadcast over every radio station all over the world. So that was like the master network.
2: <laughs> the ultimate radio station.
1: <laughs> and they were, you know what was so funny in that film? Like they were reaching out to the FCC. So they had comments from the FCC authorities, you know, the government radio authorities and they were trying to figure out like what was going on and and then everybody was keeping all of their channels open at the point where they were expecting the voice of god after days and days of him speaking um so i thought it was funny that they brought the regular you know regulatory commission in on it
2: yeah it's it's really great just kind of how open they are with their audiences of like how this process works right (laughs) (laughs) so
1: You mentioned that, you know, sometimes your heart is broken because you have a movie in mind that you don't have the rights to. Were there some radio movies that you really wanted to show and you weren't
2: able to show? Um, it's normally the more contemporary movies I would want to try and fit in. So like, I think in a, um, in a perfect world in my dream lineup, if I could show, uh, straight talk, I would, which would have been a very silly mix with this, but more of those, like, um, more contemporary titles, which tend to be more expensive. The second um, half
0: of the century of film.
2: Yeah, basically. And then do you have, do you personally have any
1: favorite radio movies?
0: Uh, I guess I do, but it's always like,
2: it's never fully radio centric. Um, I am a sucker for almost any John Cusack movie. So I guess like high fidelity or gross point blank where either music is very heavily featured in his films. And that's almost part of the story itself. I do love. I do love straight talk. Um, what is straight and, talk?
4: I this. I don't know this movie, or I don't remember this movie.
2: So it's from uh, 1992, and it's Dolly Parton. Oh boy! And she plays this woman from Arkansas who moved to Chicago um, to try and make it, and she ends up accidentally becoming the star of this talk radio show where she offers uh, like relationship advice. Yep. Um, of and they tell her they're like. Yes, you can do the show, but you have to pretend you're an actual, like, medically licensed doctor. Um, and so it's basically just her um, on air, and there's a, a journalist who's trying to basically kick her off the air and find out who she really is, unmask course, her. Yeah. yeah, James. It's James Woods, and he ends up falling in love with her, and it's yeah. all very great. Yeah, Sorry. ill. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, also ill. James Woods. Yeah.
0: <laughs> James Woods. James Woods's reputation has not. Uh, has not followed him into the into the 21st century as well as it was in the 80s and 90s.
1: So yeah. you you right. also mentioned something about Haunted Honeymoon to me. What yes. was that movie?
2: Uh, so Haunted Honeymoon was uh, 1986, I believe, and it was Gilda Radner and Gene Wilder. Wow! And it takes place. Um, it's one of those movies that is shot in the 80s, but takes place in like the 30s um, or 40s, and they play the stars of a radio murder mystery show. But uh, Gene Wilder is uh, all of a sudden like having panic attacks over the radio. Um, and it happens after he proposes marriage. And so as a way to calm his nerves, they go back to his like spooky childhood mansion home where they meet like his whole family, which is a uh, eccentric crew including like Don Deloise as his aunt. Wow. Um, <laughs> and they basically um, what happens in their radio programs happens to them in the house.
0: Huh. That's yeah. and that's that's not unrelated to the other films that you programmed from the 30s and 40s. Like that seems yeah. to be one of the themes. That's, totally. that totally sometimes the fictional universe of of the of the radio play is is either mirrored or warped or secretly exists in reality. Uh, I got that just from reading the descriptions of the films that you selected.
2: Yeah, and I think it's so fun that because it's a medium that almost everyone had in their homes, and so when you see it becoming an integral plot to the story it's like oh this could happen to anyone
0: reading the description of the films the first film that you showed on turn of classic movies related to radio culture from the 30s to the 50s as well as the last film that you showed in the series uh seemed to have a the same kind of story about a murder taking place in reality outside of the radio studio but the but the there's some kind of warping of the of the portrayal of this murder so that it is brought into the fictional world of the radio station.
2: Right. And then it kind of bookends the whole day where it's, everything comes full circle where we start with a murder, we end with a murder.
0: <laughs> yeah. We can let radio survivor listeners know that the list of films that Himrani uh, programmed for fraternal classic movies, all these radio themed films, we'll have the list up out at the show notes for today's episode at radiosurvivor.com.
1: Well, Himrani, it's been so much fun talking about radio movies with you today. I I'm I'm so glad that we got to do this pop culture themed episode.
2: So thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun.
0: Well, my pleasure again to say thank you to Himrani Vyas for having, uh, for joining us today on Radio Survivor. And Jennifer, it was very cool of you to uh, reach out and produce today's episode.
1: Yeah. I love, I love movies and TV. And actually some of my favorite things that I've done on Radio Survivor have to do with radio, have to do with um tv and film so yeah it's fun when i get to slip that in
4: as eric said you can find it all in our show notes go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast that's where of course you can listen to this episode of the show if you tuned in sort of midway through and want to get back to the start you can go back and review it is radio on your own time and of course if you if you listen as a podcast and you want to catch up on other episodes you can find them there as well thank you to everyone for spending another hour with us